Welcome back to Half the Battle. I'm your host as always, Daniel Levy, and joining me now is the man with the most submissions in UFC middleweight history. I'm talking about UFC middleweight Gerald Mearshart. Gerald, welcome back to Half the Battle. Hey, thanks for having me back, man. Good to see you. Oh, man, the pleasure's all mine. Good to see you, too. So how much pride do you get hearing that you have the most subs in UFC middleweight history? Uh, it's pretty awesome. <laughs> when I sit there and think about it, there's a lot of there's a lot of really, really good jujitsu guys and ground guys in general that have fought in the UFC previously and that are in the UFC now. But uh, you know, I'm definitely not gonna rest my hat on that because none of it really means anything if you don't have the belt. So that's still the number one goal. I mean, listen, you hear names like Damian Maya, you hear names like Anderson Silva, even Hoist Gracie. And you see your name above them in that specific topic, um, that specific list. I mean, that's got to at least bring a smile to your face. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. It's, you know, and I'm one of the few guys, too, like, I don't have the traditional jujitsu credentials that some of these guys might have. And, you know, I've still found a way to make it work for fighting. So it's it's pretty cool. Now, you're approaching your 50th professional fight. Now, I have a feeling that you've probably had a lot more fights than that that we don't even know about. But, uh, I mean, how uh, like are the nerves still the same before every fight? Uh, yeah. I mean, it, you learn how to deal with it better, but it's not like they go away. It's just your threshold for being nervous and, like, <laughs> shitting yourself before a fight just gets higher. You know what I'm saying? So it's always – it's always just absolutely terrible and awesome at the same time going in there, but you just get used to it. I mean, is it one of those things where it's just like, okay, you got to accept the fact that there's going to be stress, there's going to be anxiety, but actually going in there, being courageous and doing it anyways, that's no pun intended, half the battle? Yeah, well, I'd say it's more than half the battle because a lot of it is like the, you know, guys talk about the mental battle, right? It's, you know, just walking and getting in there. Honestly, is usually the most stressful part because once you make contact and you start, then it's like, all right, now I'm fighting again. I've done this before, but the whole, you know, build up to it. So I think if you were just to get into a fight with somebody randomly, you wouldn't have time to get anxious before that. But because I know exactly when it's going to happen and what's going to happen, uh, you know, just the the anticipation is what makes it, you know, so so much more heightened. And to take it a step further, you're fighting world class trained fighters. It's not like some bum at Seven Eleven trying to pick a fight with GM three, where I doubt you have any anxiety. I mean, unless they have a weapon, don't get me wrong. But just in general terms, someone picks a fight with you at the gas station, I doubt you're too too worried. Uh usually I'm. I don't know. Uh, people seem to think I'm pretty friendly, so I never. It never happened like that. <laughs> so I'll let you know if it ever does. Okay. Well, I'm glad to hear that, man. And look, so how do you handle the anxieties that come with entering what many people like to refer to as the theater of the unknown? Um, you know, there's definitely nights that I've handled it better than others, but uh, it's really just trying to be in the moment and like, you know, no matter what else is happening, I've done this before. I know what I have to do to protect myself. And like, you know, I think some, some people have different things that help them. Like some guys are like, nothing exists after tomorrow, but I'm always like, you know, what? no matter what happens, I'm still going to go home to my family. I'm going to be the same person. I know enough to at least not get myself seriously injured. So, uh, you know, it's, it's an athletic competition. 
it does mean more than that to me, but I try to put it in perspective as much as possible. Not to take it lightly at all, but, you know, not to get you don't want to get too much in your own head either. Now, it's funny because, look, the last time I had you on Half the Battle was back in 2016, and it was actually the one-year anniversary of my show, and you were about to fight this young stud named Sidney Wheeler on the regional scene. Could you have imagined how your career was going to play out from that point, looking back at it now? Uh, I had a feeling I was getting pretty close to getting into the UFC, but... uh... Yeah, I wouldn't have guessed the trajectory of my career. It's just I've always very tried to be very uh, level-headed and take it one day and one fight at a time. But, uh, you know, my, I feel like uh, there's things I could have done better, but there's a lot of things I could have done worse. And, um, you know, it is what it is. I can't complain. I got I got a record out of it so far. You know what I mean? I've, I've provided for my family. So, so far, it's been great. Yeah, you got 15 UFC fights under your belt. Uh, that's something that a lot of people can't say either. And listen, in addition to that, you came into the UFC with 33 professional fights under your belt. Now, again, like we said, I, I assume there's been a lot more than that, but tracked 33 professional fights under your belt. That that we know of, Gerald. How invaluable was it getting that kind of experience before fighting in the big show? Uh, I mean, for me, it was a lot because I didn't have any sort of sports background. So, you know, there's a lot of guys that uh, they're even in the UFC now that I've been fighting way longer than them. But if they have some sort of like amateur wrestling background, they have a boxing background, they have some sort of other competitive sport, you know, whether it be a combat sport or a contact sport like football or something, if they have at least something, you know, competition and just getting used to competition itself is a really, really big thing. But uh, I didn't have any of that. You know what I mean? I, I lived on a horse farm and I was in jazz band. It's like not <laughs> two things that necessarily scream cage fighter. So I had to make up for lost time. And I had to do that with a, a lot of mat time and be as much competition as my body could handle. No, I mean, the reason I ask it is because you see a lot of guys, they come in and they wash out of the UFC during their first contract. And you're a mainstay with 15 fights inside the octagon. Like, Gerald, that kind of stuff doesn't happen by accident. No. Well, and I, again, the experience definitely helps that. And there are, you know, and I've said that before, too. There's a lot of guys that come in uh, as a hot new prospect and they fit, you know, quick rise, quick fall. So I definitely think fans in general want to see the one guy that, like, keeps going. And the UFC definitely wants like their marquee guy too. Everybody wants to see the young, uh, you know, undefeated or mostly undefeated prospect coming in. But if there's one thing that's going to help you in MMA, you know, it's really, really hard to be that fast rising star. And I wouldn't say it's easier, but you, you got to have longevity no matter what to make money. You know what I mean? Like the, the contracts go up, uh, you know, they go up once you fight more. And, you know, definitely it helps if you're like, uh, you know, one of their main guys. But if you can stay in and have 15 fights, I'll tell you, you can you make a pretty decent living. But like you said, it's hard to get there in the first place. So being able to fight often enough and keep yourself safe enough, because that's another thing. Knock on wood, I haven't had a major, major injury yet from MMA fighting or training. And I think that's because I had so much competition compared to a lot of people very early on and i you know so many hard grinding days in the gym that 
uh, I kind of know where to where I can step on the gas and where to back off a little to keep my body, you know, intact so I can keep fighting. Yeah. And on that topic, I mean, do you feel because I, I don't know what you do outside the cage. So, I mean, are you eating right? Are you doing the proper recovery? Like, is that the kind of stuff that's helped you uh, have that kind of longevity? Oh, absolutely. And I, you know, there's definitely people that get a lot more involved than I do, I would say. But for me, like diet's never really been too much of an issue. Uh, definitely as I've gotten older and maybe put on a little more, little more muscle and like the weight doesn't fall off quite as easily. I've had to like start watching what I eat a little bit earlier, but it's not, you know, a hard thing for me. One thing I've definitely picked up on though is a lot more, uh, a lot more strength and conditioning and prehab rehab stuff, like seeing a chiropractor, going to physical therapy and making sure I'm doing everything to keep myself put together because, you know, I'm not getting any younger and stuff. It takes a little bit longer to heal now. Uh, so that's definitely helped a lot. But again, other than that, it's just, you know, you can either be a, a superior athlete or you can have like, try to get as much knowledge as possible. And the best guys try to get as much knowledge as possible. And I feel like if I know, if I know the answers to most questions, because you can't know the answer to every question, right? I can use that knowledge to keep myself safe, keep myself employed, and most importantly, keep all you guys entertained so you want to see me back in there again. Yeah, I mean, 100%. The entertainment factor has never been in question. So, But, I mean, speaking of recovery methods, like, what are your go-tos? Is it the deep tissue massages? Is it the cryotherapy, the cupping, the dry needling? Like, what does GM3, what, what's your go-to for recovery? Uh, so I go to a place called uh, Team Rehabilitation, and uh, I think it's Wauwatosa now, Wisconsin. And they they do a bunch of different stuff. Like they got the Normatec boots. Um, they'll do some cupping so sometimes, a lot of, uh, you know, soft fascial stuff, scraping. Uh, I've got dry needled there before. It, just stuff to unknot all the, you know, knots we get in our muscles and stuff like that to try to relax and really it's more about keeping your body in alignment because it's very easy to overcompensate one way or the other, you know, get a little too stressed here and not stressed enough there. Um, so that's a really big thing. But again, my strength conditioning has definitely helped with that. Not just being conditioned. Like obviously you still first and foremost, you got to train a lot. Right. And uh, now I've had to like kind of pick and choose. I can't train hard every single day. Like when I was, you know, early twenties or something like that, but I still train consistently. It's like, you know, you got to have to keep your body used to being slammed into people and the mat all the time. But uh, especially, you know, just like lifting weights, not to try to be huge and jacked, but just to like keep different muscles activated and keep my posture right and keep my body and like, you know, from getting too out of proportion one way or the other. Because, you know, I do a lot of pulling, right? I'm a grappler. Time under tension, lots of pulls. Um I, you know, not so much pushing. So that's like one thing where I can, you know, if I can make sure I go bench at least once a week, I can kind of even out my back and my chest. So stuff like that. Now, look, it's clear you've always been a scrappy dude. Uh, did uh, you get into a lot of fights growing up? Were there some uh, playground uh, scraps for GM3? Actually, no. <laughs> I never, I don't, there was like one small, I wouldn't even call it a fight, but like there's one small skirmish I had in high school. But that's the thing, though. I, my high school, we were all a bunch of nerds. So, oh shit, did we lose you, GM three? 
Oh, I think we lost my boy GM3. Hey, uh, you might need to do a quick little re uh, refresh and we'll get you back in here. Let me let me see if I can remove you and bring you right back in. Gerald, what's up, man? Can you hear me, buddy? Oh, man, we were just getting to, down to the nitty gritty. I got some really good questions planned for uh, Gerald Mearshar. So as soon as uh, you can figure this out, we're going to get down to it, man, because the question I'm about to ask him is, the one I've been waiting to ask him this whole time. So as soon as he can figure this out, uh, we're going to get him back in here, man. So let's see. Uh, let's see what the deal is. But y'all uh, do me do me that favor and um, leave some fan questions here in the comment box, because after I go through my questions, I'm going to start asking the fan questions. And there's a lot we got to get to um, here with Gerald. So um, I, I got to know what he's got to say on uh, on tons of things, man. I mean, I know. You guys know I ain't about to tiptoe around any subjects. We're not going to just talk about the positive. We're going to talk about everything. So, yeah. Gerald, you back? Ah, yeah. I don't know what happened. I'm oh, it's my, all good. It's all good. We got you right here. So, no, so, I mean, look, the reason I asked is you said you were a nerdy guy. You're a musician. I mean, you're a saxophone player. And for me, from my experience, you know, I was on drumline. I was the, the um, captain of the drumline, lead snare. So, like, dudes, you know, people wanted to fight with you. And, I mean, that's what got me into jujitsu. Now, obviously, I'm not a black belt like you. I'm a two-stripe blue belt. But still, uh, you know, I pride myself on training jujitsu all the time. But were people picking on, on you because you are, you know, you know, a nerdy musician? Like, that's why I ask. In that part, in that part of the United States, the Midwest, yeah. I mean, I assume people were trying to pick on you. No. That, well, that's the thing. So, <laughs> I was a nerd at a school full of nerds, so it was okay. It was pretty okay. standard, you know what I'm saying? Uh, and on top of that, I also lived on a horse farm at the same time. So it's like I was no stranger to, like, physical activity, and I was definitely rougher around the edges than most of my classmates. But we just – we all got along really well. There was, like, a smaller school, and uh, I don't know. I never – I never, like – tried to pick fights and it, it takes a lot to get me like actually like legitimately mad at somebody right like if someone comes and like talks shit to my face i like could not care less like you can say just i wouldn't say anything but just about anything you want i'm gonna be like okay now what like are you gonna fight me or can i leave now like it doesn't yeah no effect on me whatsoever so that definitely helped a lot but there was uh yeah, it was like maybe one or two close calls where I almost got into like a big fight, but nobody ever decided to like take that next step. So it was pretty, pretty, uh, pretty meek and normal, you know, <laughs> didn't really do too much scrapping. I got you. So this is something that I really want to ask you about because it's something I'm kind of inspired by, man. So there's a famous quote by William Arthur Ward, and the quote says the following adversity causes some men to break and other men to break records. Now I wholeheartedly believe that this literally applies to you, Gerald, because in 2020 you suffered two back-to-back -back first round defeats. Everybody wrote you off. They said, Gerald Mearshart was done. They said, Gerald Mearshart was washed up. If you would have retired, no one would have held it against you. You get back on the horse, you go on a three-fight win streak, scratch that, a three-fight kill streak, and you go on to break the record for most submissions in UFC history, in UFC middleweight history. I mean, what kind of resolve do you have, and what does an experience like that do for your confidence? 
uh well man it's, it's great for my confidence and like hearing somebody else say all that that's a that's a whole lot of sunshine on my skirt so that's super nice when i <laughs> i get to hear stuff like that but uh not the first time I've kind of backed myself into a corner in my career. Oh, no, we're losing them at the good spot. Oh, man. This is the question I was waiting to ask this whole fucking time. So we're going to have to get them back in here because I ain't, uh, we ain't getting no robot bullshit over here. So don't worry, y'all. I'm going to kick him out and let him back in. So hold up one second. Gerald, let's try this again, man. Uh, you're probably going to have to leave and come right back in. And uh, let's try this again, dude, because that's the question that I need the answer to the most. Um, <laughs> my boy Andy said, uh, my man is on that AOL uh, that AOL dial-up. Dial you know what I'm saying? Y'all remember that AOL dial-up, man? That shit was something else. So, uh, Gerald, if you can hear me, man, just... Uh, exit come back in and we're gonna figure this out dude because uh yeah um my boy the man cave said what's my week looking like all right hold on hold on gerald you back in here oh man i sure hope so i had to switch phones and did everything we'll see if this works oh, okay so because this was like the most important question i had to ask you know i know you heard the question so i need your take on this all right. Oh, you still there? Yeah, I'm still there. Look, if um if we have an issue again, one thing that might work is actually turning off your Wi-Fi. But as of oh, right I did. now, okay, cool. As of right now, I can see and hear you great. So, but anyways, what what kind of resolve do you have, and what does an experience like that do for your confidence? And also, that great quote truly applies to your situation there. Yeah. So, like I said, I've man, I've been in that spot a few times, and you know. Back-to-back -back losses is never good. There's a lot of times before I got in the UFC where it was kind of, uh, you know, woulda, coulda, shoulda, where I was right there. For whatever reason, I didn't perform. Either I didn't perform or I just wasn't ready at the time. Uh, but a lot of it was, you know, especially in 2020, I felt like I was focusing too much on who I was fighting and not enough on myself. And if you really want to do something, like, you know, you got more in the tank. And like you said, if I were to retire, nobody would have held it against me. But I'm telling you, I, I knew I had more in the tank. So I just said, I'm going to focus on me, do what I can do best, and then, you know, go from there. So as a father, is this mental fortitude something you want to instill in your kids at an early age about not giving up and seeing things through? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, if there's one uh one thing that you know that'll definitely help you throughout your life is just the discipline to keep going uh you know you could call it you call it discipline you could call it uh you know a capacity or tolerance for suffering but all those things it, it it takes small steps and you're gonna you're gonna hit a lot of hurdles in life and you know I, my losses have been very public you know what i mean because all of my career has been as a professional and, you know, th that's permanent no matter what. Um, some of the other guys don't have that because maybe in their career they fought a lot somewhere else and, like, they don't keep track of that or people aren't focused on that. But everybody takes their losses. Mine just happened to be out in the open. And, you know, if you can learn to take losses and keep pushing, that's probably one of the, the most 
valuable lessons you can learn in life. And it's kind of, it applies to a lot of stuff, right? It's kind of like, you know, you go somewhere and people are like kind of talking trash to you. They're messing with you. Most of the time they're not like making fun of you like that because they want to hurt your feelings. They want to see how you react to adversity. So they know whether or not they really want to like kind of talk to you and mess with you. Right. So I think a lot of people, you know, sometimes they'll go somewhere like, Oh, they were like making fun of me or this. And then it's like, well, if they really were just being dicks, then don't talk to them, obviously. But a lot of people are just testing you. They just want to see what type of person you are. And if you just let it roll off the back of your shoulder, you go with it. That usually goes a really long way. Yeah. And on that topic from someone that was counted out, written off, all of a sudden you're on the cusp of the top 15 in the middleweight division. I mean, what, what does that mean to you? Nah, it's great. <laughs> Getting, you know, I'm not like super concerned about getting a number next to my name other than the fact that it does, then it's a, a tangible thing that there's a clear, well, I shouldn't say clear, but there's like, you know, a possibility of a road to the belt. Like that's what everybody wants, right? So, you know, that's step one, get a ranking next to your name. Step two would be get top 10, step three is top five. And then after that, make enough noise that you have to get a title shot. And uh, at least stylistically, you know, I'm not maybe the the best shit talker in the world and on the mic and all that stuff because I'm just I'm a normal dude. Some people like that, but it's definitely like not going to sell uh, the most pay-per-views ever, probably. But I would think stylistically, I probably if I can do what I do best and like stay in people's grills and make them fight me and grapple me a lot, I think that at least for the fight itself, purely for the fight, if I can be at my best game, I'm probably the best dance partner for the current champion right now. Now, that being said, way far away from that, nowhere even close to having the opportunity yet. But if I can get there and I'd assign you still the champion, uh, I think I could give, you know, well, obviously I think I can win, but I think at the very least I'll give a very, very exciting fight and uh, actually make him fight unlike the last you know few performances where he's been able just to kind of pick guys apart and not have to you know come out of cruise control right and actually there was something i wanted to ask you about adesanya but before i do that i want to touch on something you just said um i wouldn't underestimate yourself in the trash talking department like in that Hamza press conference dude i thought you were witty as hell i thought you had some really good lines like, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't sleep on your trash talking ability either, man. Like, uh, I know that's not what you're about. I know you like to show your work in the cage, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't sleep on, uh, you know, your wittiness either, man, for real. I appreciate that. Yeah. So now I'm glad you brought up Adesanya because my question relating to that was this. So look, compared to most human beings on planet earth, Gerald, you're an exceptional athlete, but in the UFC, it's a little bit different. And what I mean by that is this, with all due respect, like if you and Adesanya, you know, or even you and Robert Whitaker, let's say who's got the higher vertical jump or who's got the, <laughs> the faster 40 meter sprint or whatever the case, yeah. those, those guys are, are going to beat you there. But y'all, y'all, y'all put on the gi and it might be a completely different story. So how did you discover jujitsu and how much has jujitsu changed your life? Uh, I mean, honestly, I didn't, man, I didn't put on an actual gi for the first probably like eight years of training. Like when I started fighting, I did everything at once. It just happened to be that the, 
the grappling I was being taught was at a very high level. And I was learning jujitsu through a wrestling lens because the guys that they were, they were really good at jujitsu, like the, way better at jujitsu than uh, they ever got credit for. Uh, it was Nick and Hank Aguilar. And I also trained her Dave Strasser, who's a pretty good fighter back in the day. But, um, you know, like I said, Nick and Hank, they were both wrestlers, learned jujitsu, were really, really good at it, understood how to teach very well. So that was just happened to be the thing that I got better at because you know, there's a lot of good grapplers in America, even places you don't ever hear of. Um, the striking is just not quite as good because we don't have as much avenues for competition, right? Like there's plenty of jiu-jitsu tournaments already. There's wrestling before, you know, there's places where you could test yourself as a grappler period. But even like our golden glove system and stuff is like, it's not bad, but it's not to the same level as like, you can go anywhere and grapple. There's not like a rec center where you can have actual, you know, like maybe you could do some boxing fights, but it's not like there's a kickboxing league or like a same, like a real fighting karate league or something like that. Right. So it was everything at once. I just happened to get good at that first. And that really helped carry me through my career. So I put a lot of emphasis on that and man, if I didn't have some of the teachers I had or, uh, you know, uh, I probably wouldn't be nearly as good of a kickboxer as an MMA fighter. So I'm glad that MMA exists. I mean, look, we talk about your jujitsu a lot, but w- w- what about that body kick, man? When did you realize you could kick like a mule? I feel like uh, that's one of your most underrated tools. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Pretty early on, I, I threw the left kick fairly well. Even when my technique wasn't good, I could, I could just kick that left body kick especially, I can just kick really hard. So that, for some reason, just kind of made sense to me. It's not, you know, the – and the, I usually throw, like, more of a straight, like, uh, straight-on, hard, like, Thai-style middle kick. You know what I mean? Like, uh, I watch a lot of Yotsen Klai. That's kind of how I'm trying to kick. I don't care if you block it. I don't care if something's in the way. Whatever's there, could be your ribs, could be your arms, I'm breaking it. I'm cutting you in half immediately and uh you know obviously it worked well for me and uh, i got a finish out of it in one of my fights but even some of my other fights you can see when i throw that kick at people they kind of run away or like even uh one of my fights a guy hopped in the air because he was like afraid to get hit with it so you know head kick on the left side not quite as good but man if i get a solid body kick in that's going to be a rough night for anybody Hey, for all the fans watching right now, uh, leave your comments in the comment box for Gerald. We're about to get to those in a sec. I got a couple more questions for you, though, man, because, look, your upcoming fight, you're taking on Christoph Jocko, and, I mean, we know exactly what this dude brings to the table. He is a very disciplined European point fighter. I mean, I think that's the best way to describe him. Um, Is it a thing where, like, I want to ask you about, what you view his threat level because obviously we don't want to underestimate him like i remember back in the day when he knocked out tamden mccrory actually bet on him at like plus 200 odds in that fight but for the most part you know he likes to play it safe but he's very good at winning these close decisions and it's funny whenever this guy wins a split decision he'll always break dance that's something that's uh, been fun to watch uh, about him over the years but how do you kind of view this because it's such a drastic like clash of styles man like you guys fight nothing alike have you ever fought a guy that like kind of plays it safe like him and just does just enough to win but he's very good at his style uh i don't think so i fought some guys that move kind of similar to him um i would say murdoff was 
similar in the sense that there was a lot of in and out movement. But to your point, he was uh, he was more like I'm going to come in and charge in with heavy hands to try to knock you out. Whereas Jocko, like you said, pretty much what he's trying to do is score points and draw you into overextending yourself so he has the possibility of getting a knockout. But, uh, you know, one of the things he does do very well, other than his activity, is he's almost always in the correct position. And part of that's his movement, right? So, if you know, you can't ever catch up to him or, you know, he doesn't ever just stand there and swing. He's in, he's out, he's off to the side, he's moving around all the time. Um, so I think that's helped him have like a long career in the UFC, right? And win a lot of these decisions because he just stays very, very active. Um, so for me, you know, for better or worse, that kind of plays into what I do, kind of plays into what he does, right? Because no matter what, I want to go forward and fight you. Like I got to fight you in a phone booth. I have to be in your face. I do some of my best work when we're, you know, in the heat of battle, so to speak, in the fire. And I'm like, you know, six inches away from you and you're swinging and I'm swinging and I can, I can read situations pretty well there. Um, but he also wants someone to come in at him. So it's, can I get stuck to him safely and keep that gap closed? Or can he keep leading me on to get me to overextend myself? So it's like, uh, we both pretty much know exactly what the other guy's going to do. It's just who can, who can stay more disciplined and just be more stubborn about what they want to do. In in addition to that, I mean, we talked about the movement, the distance. Um, he does he he knows what he needs to do when he needs to do it. But he's also really good at you know scoring that last minute takedown just to kind of seal it on the judges' cards. How do you feel about that? Because you have been taken down a lot, but you're also very active when you do get taken down. How do you kind of feel like you guys match up in the grappling department? Uh, so first, I think part of that's because not only does he have good movement, he has really good takedown defense. Uh, he he does like the straight up sprawl really well, and he's good about getting himself against the cage. And I think, generally speaking, most of the film I've seen on him, he guys want to take him down to slow him down, and then he kind of stops them the whole time and is moving backwards a lot and side to side, and they kind of forget that he also has the option to wrestle. So when they start really slowing down and not moving, they're like, I just want to stand here and trade so I can land something. He takes that advantage and he gets that quick takedown to like quote unquote win the round if it's like kind of even. Um, so that's definitely something I've taken into consideration. It's like the I'm not really too worried if I get taken down. Like I said, I'm pretty active on the ground, but I definitely don't want to get taken down with like 30 seconds left. Right. Like unless I'm going down and I got a choke already locked in or I'm like fishing for something that I feel is there. Um, that's definitely one key thing is like maybe I won't stop him from shooting, but I better be ready to like wrestle back and make sure that I'm on top or pull him up into a clinch and keep him glued to me so I can land some strikes or something. Now, the last time this man was submitted was in 2014 in his second ever UFC fight. So honestly, I mean, he's a completely different fighter since then. But do you feel like you can be the second man to ever submit Christophe Jocko? Oh, I think I could be without a doubt. I mean, you know, how many guys have I fought that were undefeated at the time or were on a huge winning streak or hadn't ever been submitted or weren't submitted in years like that? I don't really pay attention to that. I know what I can do well and what I can do well is grab a hold of you, hit you a bunch of times and choke you. <laughs> so I think I can definitely do that. So on the topic of that fight with Birdov, because 
in my opinion, I mean, I think that that's one of the best wins of your entire career. I mean, we're talking about a guy in Murdoff, the kind of hype this guy had, not just for his skills, not just for the, the performances and the wins he was putting on inside the octagon, but this guy was the first fighter that Floyd Mayweather ever managed in MMA. I mean, he had a serious backing. People were, were trying to you know, fast track him to the top and you go out there, man, you end that hype train, you finish the guy. And I mean, you know, you had to overcome maybe slightly a little bit of early adversity. I mean, it wasn't an easy fight by any means. Firstly, I mean, what did that fight do for your confidence? And I mean, would you say that that's one of the toughest fights you've ever had in your career? Uh, it did. It really helped my confidence a lot. Uh, to you know because I had it would have been a real shame if I had as good of a camp as I did as good as I felt like everything was clicking and it needed to click for that one because like you said kids a stud really tough he hadn't lost since like 2014 or something ridiculous like that been knocking everybody out and you know just piecing everybody up so uh, it needed to be that if I was going to win for sure um and yeah, definitely one of my more tougher fights. You know, I, I don't know if I could say it's the toughest one because, you know, I've lost my fair share of fights, but absolutely made me work for it. And that was, uh, you know, that was one of those things where I really reinforced, like, I have to just focus on, like, obviously you want to do a little film study, right? I, I kind of had an idea what he was going to do, but I really took the time to focus on myself. What can I do better? What skills do I need to sharpen uh, in order to be the best I can be in this fight? And that's again i really reinforce that like if i go forward and i make it a fight i'm a i'm a dangerous knight for anybody and that's the thing he was so used to i think hitting guys and moving around and they would kind of they try to fight him and then they you know they would get cracked and they would just back off and not you know pursue him anymore whereas like uh there was definitely a point where i got cracked with a good one there's a couple that looked bad in there that weren't but there i definitely got hit with a hard shot in that first round but even still after that, just going forward and coming at him and like not letting up, especially in that small cage, you kind of see like even by the end of the first round, I could hear him grunting and swinging and missing. And I'm like, oh, this is like you're you're panicking now because you're throwing everything you got. And as long as I keep a cool head and it's like it's a, you know, and I think uh, to your point earlier, that's where the experience comes in. I've had almost 50 fights. So when someone's trying to knock my block off, it's not like a strange thing for me. And, uh, you know, I had a really good cardio that night and I use it as a weapon. I mean, to break and finish a guy like that is, is a massive statement. By any chance, did uh, you ever hear anything by Floyd? Did he give you any kind of props for, uh, you know, going out there and doing what you did? Or <laughs> I don't I don't not that I know of. I mean, if he did, that's awesome. But, yeah, I never I never personally heard anything. No. So the name Mearshart. I mean, that ain't just your standard Midwest name. Uh, what, what's the what's the lineage here? Uh, it's Belgian, I believe. Belgian. Okay. Okay. You ever been to Belgium before? I have not. The only only place I've been to in Europe is uh, I went to Nottingham to corner one of my buddies for uh, that one of the ACB shows, and that's that's as close as I've gotten so far. But you know about the Belgian chocolate and the Belgian waffles, right? Oh, of course. Yeah. I've never had him from Belgium, obviously, but I've, I've heard great things. So you fought Duran Wynn, and the reason I want to bring this up is because like, I got to know, for middleweight, you don't see guys that short at middleweight. I mean, you're, what, 6'2", something like that, and 
you know, Deron Wynn, it says he's 5'6". Between you and me, he's more like 5'4". Was it weird fighting a guy that short in the middleweight division? Yeah, yeah, it was very different. And, like, he was, uh, man, he was another really tough fight, man. Like, he, you know, he gave me a, a good run for my money. But that, yeah, it was just such a weird way to gauge like distance and like because obviously he had to modify some stuff right like as far as how his stand-up worked and like i had to think about the wrestling and stuff like that because obviously well he got an easy takedown right away i kind of you know i really should have defended a little bit better but when i felt he got to the right spot i was like all right you're gonna take me down we'll do jujitsu now but he was smart and he was like nah get up and even then i was kind of wor- you know not worried but i was uh prepared for him to really try to wrestle right because if you're so short and compact like that it's going to be kind of hard to get a submission on anything because you know he moves his arm three inches one way or the other and he's completely out of there but uh yeah it was the trajectory of the punches uh the pacing just like where i had to hit and having to hit someone like that much shorter than you and like not have your head stay up and like stay in your shell was that was a little bit different because everything's like coming from an overhand, right? And I don't want to squat down too much, but I can't like stand like this and let him knock me the F out. So it was, uh, yeah, it was kind of strange. Yeah. And um, I also want to bring up your fight with Oscar Pijota because, I mean, this guy was a Robert Drysdale black belt. And to this day, you know, and not to disrespect a UFC fighter, I mean, these guys, you know, I'm not the guy stepping in the cage, but I just want to say, to this day, that's still one of the like, like, most brutal ass whoopings I've ever seen in all my years watching this sport, and I still remember it. Like when you were in there and you were just teeing off on this guy, was there ever a point where it was like, like ref, like seriously, like can we just like stop this already, or are you just doing? I know you're doing your job, man. I know you got to do what you got to do until the ref steps in. But like in your mind, are you ever like, yo, what the fuck, man? Like stop this shit. Uh, it was getting close, and uh, yeah, that's one of my more underappreciated fights. I think because that was like the very first not- fight of the night on uh, it was International Fight Week, and that was like the tough finale card, I believe. And uh, yeah, so like people don't know that one as much, but that's a great fight if you go back and watch it. it was like I said, I I really did put the hurting on that guy, and there was a couple times where I'm like, man, I am really hitting him a lot, and he is not doing anything like. Are you going to stop this? And then the other part of my brain was like, dude, how are you still conscious? I just hit you with like 16 elbows in a row. Like, Jesus. Like, that was, and that was when, uh, yeah, he was undefeated. He had just come off a knockout in the UFC, I believe. So he was, uh, you know, he was, he was the next thing that they were trying to build up to. And, you know, I went, I was on the feet with him. We went on the ground a little bit. And then uh, I really kicked up the gas in the second round after a lackluster first. And man, I just took it to him. And it, it's funny in that fight, you can see when I really start to turn it up, I hear one of my coaches, I thought he said short time after I had like heard him. He said, take your time. <laughs> so I heard short time and I was like, oh, there's only 30 seconds left. So I started like just everything I got. I'm throwing everything. And I was just putting the hurt on this guy. And after a little bit, I was like, man, this sure is a long 30 seconds. Like he was like, no, it was only halfway through the round. I was like, oh, great glad i got that finished because i was i was pretty tired after that so back to what we were talking about earlier on the show how you know adversity causes some men to break and others to break records now 
obviously I would never disrespect anyone that steps inside the UFC's octagon, but I'm just trying to just be objective and honest. He never came back the same ever again after that fight. I mean, he was either undefeated or had one loss going into your fight with him full of confidence after that fight was never the same ever again. So, I mean, like, how, how do you kind of assess a situation like that? Is it just that everybody's different or like what would have, in your opinion, was it such a bad whooping that you can't come back the same? Or do you think it would have been possible for him to regroup somehow? Uh, I think it would have been possible. Um, I'd have to look at the time he took in between to tell. I mean, there's definitely some some technical deficiencies too. You know what I mean? Cause like I saw his fight with uh, Puna Haley Soriano after that. And he does kind of stand like a little bit upright and Puna likes to really dip his head and chuck overhands and he hits pretty hard. So it's like that that's a very glaring problem to still have against a guy who's like is literally your kryptonite if that's what you're going to do. Um, but yeah, to that point, and that's, and that's another thing too, right? Is like, well, was it a confidence thing or was it just a, a deficiency in technique? Because you can fix either of those things, but you have to know which it is and address it. Cause you can be the most confident guy in the world, but if you're still making mistakes and like your posture's not good or your head's too far up or, you know, you have the wrong, uh, the wrong game plan going in. Cause I remember after me, I don't know everybody fought, but after me, he fought Puna Hale and he fought, uh, I believe he fought Rodolfo Vieira. And that's like, and Burial too. Yeah. And like, uh, Rodolfo and, um, and Barry all stuff I've trained with him, uh, trained with Rodolfo. He's a stud. And, uh, you know, obviously Puna Haley is a super, super tough guy. And like I said, he's like literally kryptonite for someone that stands straight up like that. You know what I mean? So that's definitely part of it, but you know, you can, I truly believe you can come overcome any, anything if you really put your mind to it. But again, some of that is also technique. Like there's some guys that I feel like do get, they, they get the confidence beaten out of them and they never quite get it back. Um, but in that specific case, I don't know if it's just that or if it's both, but I would say, you know, and another thing too, a lot of people don't talk about like how much time you take off before you came back. Yeah. Cause if you just come back to training after getting beat up really bad or getting knocked out. You might not have everything cleared up. You know what I mean? You got to give your brain time to heal after stuff like that. Like I got, I got knocked by uh Heinish, Right. And then I think I came back not that long after. And I was like, I had COVID in between that and came back and fought Hazmat. And it wasn't my case of COVID was not bad at all, but just the fact that it was like trying to train at home and still not taking any breaks and letting my brain heal after getting, cause I wasn't, my thinking was like, Oh, I didn't get put completely to sleep. I'm probably fine. It's not how that works. <laughs> and I kind of found that out the hard way. And I'm not saying that I would have won that night anyway, but I think it would have taken a lot more than one punch to put my lights out had I taken the appropriate time to recover because that's after that fight. I said, hey, I need some time off. I need to recover. I need to make sure my brain's good. Like, that, that's not me. Something, you know, either I need some rest or something's up. And the UFC, to their credit, they gave me time to say, all right, go get, go get some scans done, make sure everything's good. I had like eight or nine months till my next fight, and that was the start of my uh, – 2021 run yeah because i mean like we talked about earlier a lot of guys you know they could have came back never been the same they could have retired uh i mean because a, a result like that is gonna break is gonna make or break a lot of people and 
you go on to break records. So it's pretty fucking uh, badass what you've been able to do. So for this fight coming up against Jocko, I've noticed uh, you're doing some training in Florida at Fusion XL with the genius uh, Julian Williams. He's, if people don't know about Julian Williams, this is a guy who he was not he's not just a great black belt in jiu-jitsu but he was also a fantastic mma fighter the only reason he didn't get signed to the ufc was because he was like 36 or 37 and i guess they thought he was too old or something but like dude is a fucking g uh julian williams so are you just doing like a couple weeks there you're doing the whole camp there like what's the deal uh for right now i'm just here for uh a week about um so my my longtime buddy and training partner jp st louis lives down here and this is like his new home base because he's got a lot of had a lot of family in florida but uh yeah i i needed some uh bigger bodies and guys that give kind of more of the look of my opponent and uh so you know i figured why not come down i've been here before i got to roll with julian today as well as a matter of fact and that dude that dude's a stud he's really really good he's got a great thing going here and there's plenty of uh plenty of big guys my size and like even taller and lankier that give that look that I need. And on top of that, you still got like uh, Adolfo Vieira and all the other guys that are here that are, you know, still really, really good on the ground. So I'm not losing anything in that department. You know what I'm saying? And obviously Phil Rose here too. He's like, maybe doesn't move exactly like Jocko, but he's very lanky like that. Uh, Machida was there today. Um, you know, another guy that moves and is like very, very high striking IQ and all that stuff. So it's a, it's a good spot for me. A lot of really high level big guys. And, you know, if nothing else, I can come down, you know, everyone's really cool, get some good pointers, implement what I've been working on, see if it's working right. And then kind of assess and go from there. Yeah. Phil Rowe, man. I mean, that kid's a problem, man. Wait till, you know, he's got a little more experience under his belt. Cause I mean the physical tools and uh, the mindset's there. And I think that that guy is uh, going to be a force to be reckoned with. Uh, what are these sparring sessions? Like, I mean, obviously you don't want to give too many details out what happens in the gym stays in the gym, but you know, how are some of these sparring sessions with these killers? Uh, I mean, today we did spar. We did a lot of ground stuff, but it, I mean, it's good, man. It's good work. Like I said, I wouldn't just come here from Rufus sport, if it was like, you know, I was just rolling over everybody, there'd be no point in that. So I, I, I came here to be challenged and like, uh, you know, stress test what I've been working on. And I'm, I'm getting just that, man. It's a challenge. It's, it's tough. There's not, not really any easy outs. And, uh, you know, hopefully I can come back in the future for maybe more than a week, but definitely for right now, this is, you know, perfect for what I need. Perfect time in camp. And, uh, I'm loving it. Hell yeah, man. So all the fans, it's almost time for the fan questions. So submit them down below. So you're a musician. I'm a musician. You're a saxophone player. I'm a drummer. Um, you still playing these days? You still practice at all? Or what's the deal? Uh, no, I mean, I can still play, but uh, yeah, I'm I'm definitely way rustier than I used to be because, you know, I'm training all the time. Uh, I've got some other things I'm trying to get going. And, you know, I'm kind of on daddy daycare right now on top of it. Like I'm doing a lot of the pickup and drop off. So not, uh, not very conducive with playing saxophone. Got you. What about your buddy Bilal, man? I mean, how fucking awesome is it to see what he's done, man? I mean, to like, you know, it's funny. I was talking about earlier on the show, how I had you on when you fought Sid Wheeler outside the UFC. Cause I went back and listened to that interview just to see like what we talked about back then. And interestingly enough, on that same episode, I had Bilal when he was making his UFC debut. So to see what you've both been able to accomplish, I mean, from him fighting uh, for the Titan FC belt to now he's top five on planet Earth, it's pretty inspiring uh, to see, don't you think? 
Yeah, and man, let me just say it has been one of the coolest and funniest things to see Bilal not change his sense of humor at all and it go from being like making fun. Of, I Well, I still make fun of him all the time. I still think a lot of his jokes are dumb, but I tell him that to his face, <laughs> so it's okay. But, but it's like going from like making the same dad jokes before and now when like everybody's eating it up, I was like, this is this dude's really living the dream right now because Bilal has been that guy since before he was in the UFC. He still wears gym shorts underneath all his clothes. He still trains in basketball shorts. Don't let him ever tell you any different. He's got a clothing sponsor, and they literally like shipped him these like spats that have gym shorts over him so he could feel comfortable, is what I'm guessing. But like He's, he's always been himself, and it's just great. I'm so happy for him. Got to be, like, top five, one of the nicest people you will ever meet on this earth. It, is, it couldn't happen to a better person. I'm so happy for him. I can vouch for uh, those sentiments. He is an unbelievable person. So the man cave said, uh, you should walk out uh, playing your instrument, man. <laughs> yeah, not the first time that's been suggested. I don't uh, – if I can convince the UFC to mic me up and we can figure out a walkout song, like maybe for a big pay-per-view, I'll, I'll do it. What was that one song you played? Yeah. Yeah. Do something like that. Um, so another guy I wanted to talk to you about. I'm actually wearing his shirt, his shirt, Emmanuel Matador Sanchez, one of my all-time favorite fighters. Um, actually one of the first fighters I ever sponsored too, because uh reason being, um, well, obviously the exciting fights. When you put on the fights that he puts on, that's like the kind of fighter I want to get behind. But he didn't have the the following, the backing that I felt like he deserved. Uh, considering the kind of fights he put on. So I, I really wanted to get behind someone like that. But at this point, he's had a very long career, and right now he's stumbling on some hard times. And I know you're a guy who's had a long career. You've had your ups and downs. What kind of advice would you give to a guy like that? I mean, because I know that after that second title fight, it can be hard to regain your motivation, you know, because that's your that's every fighter's dream to be a world champion. So when that doesn't go your way, I can see how it would be hard to get back up for those next ones because – Listen, people might disagree with me, but I truly believe deep in my heart, Emmanuel Sanchez beats those last two guys he lost to. Like, And Emmanuel is a guy that's known for, you know, he might get out-wrestled early, but you start to gas out on a guy like Manny Sanchez, and he is going to absolutely turn up on you. And it seemed like he was the one getting out-hustled out his last few fights. And I'm just wondering, like, it, you think that maybe, you know, he just needs a change of scenery? Like, what do you think we got to do to get Manny back on track? Because I truly still think there's so much more for him to give, and I want to see him still go to the top. Oh, well, I, I tell him. <laughs> I mean, I see him all the time, so I tell him what I think he should do. But uh, um, I know, I believe, uh, and I hope I'm not speaking out of turn, I'm pretty sure he plans on moving up a weight class because I think the cut might be getting to him a little bit. Uh, yeah. the last time we talked um, or he would have to like, you know, it's either the cut was getting to him or he was like mismanaging the cut somewhat, but I believe he's moving up. I, I think that's the game plan right now, but uh, you know, he's been, you know, he's taken a little, not time off, but like maybe time off from like more of the, the super hardcore training, which I don't think is a bad thing, you know, re reevaluate what you're doing, fall back in love with the sport again, uh, do it for fun make sure you're associating your work that like remembering that, Hey, this is fun. Like this is a privilege that we get to do this and make money. You know what I mean? Um, and other than that, just, uh, 
you know, being being a little more stubborn on defense in certain spots and just, you know, again, addressing the wrestling. Because like you said, what do you see when people beat him? They take him down, they hold on to him. It's kind of like the same thing people tried to do to Anthony Pettis back in the day. And especially coming from the gym we come from, you don't always feel like you're losing necessarily. It was like, oh, the guy's just holding me down. But I like, you know, I'm trying to fight. He's the one just stalling. Unfortunately, with our point system, for better or worse, you know, if nothing else much happens or you're not threatened of a bunch of submissions or something, if you get held down for, you know, four minutes and 30 seconds, usually you lose that round. Um, so just, you know, kind of reinforcing that mentally and just understanding that, like, not to give up a takedown and be like, oh, well, he's not fighting me, but to fight that takedown hard and then make them pay for it and be like, if you ever touch my legs again and try to put me on my back, I'm going to knock your block off. And guess what? I'm going to do it anyway because that's what I'm paid to do. Um, I think just those little, you know, little few things. It's not like he doesn't know how to do this stuff. Uh, it's just kind of getting back into the habit of it, getting hungry for it again, getting, yeah, you know, that- really more than anything, finding that fire to be like, I'm not, not only am I going to like beat you up, but I'm not going to let you get, a position. I'm not going to let you get an inch of the beginning of a position because I'm going to beat you down with every, I'm going to beat you down with my defense. That's kind of what I think we got to get back to. And I think he's taking the steps to do that. Yeah. And get back to is the right way to say it. Cause I mean, when he fought Daniel Strauss, when he fought Taiwan Claxton, when he fought all these guys, I mean, yeah, they'd take him down, but the dude just relentless. Whereas, you know, this last fight against Kennedy, like that's not that's not the Manny that that we all know and love. And and not to make excuses, not to discredit Kennedy, I just know that Manny. Um, you know, I, I know he's got more than that, and I can't wait to see him bounce back because that is one of my all time favorite fighters and just a fucking awesome dude. All right, so let's get down to these fan questions, man. Um, and then there's some fan comments as well. So Nathan, firstly, Nathan just wanted to thank you. Uh, for cashing, he didn't, just, he, he didn't just bet you against Muradov. He bet you by second round submission against Muradov. So uh, you want to That's say awesome. thank you for that? That's pretty badass. Like uh, that, he called it to that extent. I, I thought that the dog odds would have been good enough, but it, apparently he wanted to take it, you know, a step further yeah. and go yeah. round and everything in round two. Um, all right, so let's see. So YBB Sports Data says. Was your fight style based on the inspiration of another MMA fighter, and who did you look up to in the earlier stages of your fight career? Uh, I wouldn't say it was based on any one guy. Uh, I've definitely stolen things that I've seen people do before. Um, who would I look up to? Uh, so I got into Pride uh, first before the UFC. Um so I, I loved watching Wanderlei back in the day. I wo- loved watching Shogun. All the shootbox guys were all great. Um, Crow Cop was obviously a mainstay in Pride. I really enjoyed watching Sakuraba for you know obvious reasons. As I'm a grappler now. Um, there's definitely a lot of old like, especially now that I've kind of discovered that I prefer more clinch fighting, even on the feet. Uh, a lot of like stuff that Couture used to do to, like, bigger guys, like, hanging on them and kind of boxing in the clinch. Uh, I've, I've tried to implement a lot of that stuff. So it's probably the best answer I got for that. So uh, Harry wants to know, has Gerald learned to fight better tired over the years? The difference in the Stoltzfus and Holland fights is huge. In, in his opinion. <laughs> better tired. Yeah. Uh, 
I mean, I think I've always been pretty good. Like our training sessions are so grueling that I'm like used to being tired fighting. I think the biggest difference was, uh, well, I shouldn't even say that actually, but I think about the Holland fight was different because I was actually pretending to be Wonder Boy for a long time uh, to help. I forget who I was helping getting ready, but I was like being Wonder Boy in the gym and I took that fight on short notice. And then I think another part of it is too that kind of underestimated how good Kevin was uh, with like reversals on the ground. So like I got the takedowns all the time and I kind of control, but I got, I got too uh, submission hunting happy. Like I went too much for the finish instead of like controlling and ground and pounding. And he also did a very good job reversing and getting on top, especially at the end of the round, which is what I think I did it for him. Did it for him a couple times is I would overextend myself really hunting for a choke. And then in the last, 30 to 10 seconds, I would give up top position and kind of just like take a breather because nothing was happening and they would give it to him. Uh, but the Stolfus fight, yeah, I, obviously I was not, <laughs> I was not feeling it that fight. And uh, I don't know if I say that I learned to fight better tired because other than the first part of the first round, uh, I kind of stunk it up pretty bad and was like not purposely, but making a bunch of mistakes, knowing there were mistakes because I was just so freaking tired. Uh, but I, think i definitely got better at like i knew i had to get a finish in the third round and i flipped the switch and i was like all right you're tired screw it doesn't matter just empty the tank move fast don't think just do stuff and i think like the like you were saying the renewed confidence and um just like making sure that i'm like you're tired who gives a shit just go fast and not go fast and jump for a submission that's not there be fast and get to a position that will lead you to either beat him up or get a submission. So, you know, sometimes you can skip position before submission, but in instances like those, I think my fight IQ in that sense helped me a lot. Yeah, We got a couple more fan questions and then we're going to get you out of here. All the fans watching, uh, smash that like button for me, hit the subscribe button. I truly appreciate it. So do you do anything to address the mental game? I mean, do you talk to someone? Do you listen to tapes, read any books? I mean, are you into that kind of shit? Like what's, like what's the like do you how do you approach the mental game? Uh a lot of reflection. Uh, you know, I'll look up different stuff on my own. I'll talk to a lot of guys that uh I think have a pretty good handle on it, and I try to surround myself with, you know, as cheesy as that sounds like positive, like minded people. Like if you know not, not, you're not gonna cheesy be, in my book. Yeah, you're gonna be a lot more like the people you hang out with, right? So I try to I try to surround myself with like, you know, different types of people, but that are all positive influences. Um, you know, uh, Ben Askren is a guy that I talk to a lot about the the mental stuff and, you know, probably one of the better guys in the game to look at as far as like dealing with adversity and stuff like that. Uh, and then, you know, a lot of, of my other training partners um, and some of my coaches just, you know, not necessarily talking about that specifically, but like picking their brain about different stuff, just talking about, how different things happen. And like I said, looking it up on my own, uh, and I think maturing helps a lot too, right? You know, you get a lot more perspective as you get older and you have different and more responsibilities. So I think that all helps. Ken just wanted to congratulate you on choking out your last three opponents. Uh, for sure. For sure. Um, Harry wants to know, like, has there been a difference in how you make decisions in fights as of late? Uh, I think so. Uh, so one of the big changes recently that's happened is I've been like the, the, the fight team coach for ground stuff at Rufus sport. 
and that's given me a lot more agency. Like that. That being said, I still have like a lot of people that I pull on for knowledge and stuff like that. And uh, Rufus Sport is under Lovato. I had Rafael Lovato in my corner. You know, I definitely don't know everything about uh, ground stuff in jiu-jitsu and MMA, but being able to like teach and like be more in a leadership role, it's given me agency to really like think about stuff. And then the more you say it to people like, hey, this is why you do something. This is when you do it. These are the possible outcomes of that thing. I would suggest going down this path as opposed to this path because it's a little bit safer or whatever. Uh, I think it just helps reinforce everything. It gives me more agency to make my own decisions in the fight where it's like maybe before, you know, I would feel panicked and rush. I'm like, oh, there, there's the neck. I got to go get the neck. Instead of like, calm down, take your time. You can get this position first for sure. And then you can hit him. Or if he does something else, then you can choke him. And like just being able to talk those problems out and think through them. Uh, and then like I'm teaching it. So then I'm thinking about it, which means I'm going to do it in practice, which makes me more likely to do it in a fight instead of just like, Oh, we're going to drill an arm bar. And then you get into a fight. It's like, Oh, I got to do an arm bar. And you're just ignoring everything else as far as like how you get there, what the other person's doing and what possible, like they could play a whole different game off that instead of like me thinking about fighting as a whole and what I should be doing. Position over submission, Poha. You're in yeah. another deal, man. Uh, Intrust Game says Gerald looks like Gerard Butler. You ever heard that? <laughs> Not the first time I've heard that. I, I appreciate it. <laughs> uh, the Man Cave says your UFC bonuses. Do you receive it right after the fight or a few days after? What's the deal? Oh, so this is actually uh, some cool insider information. So if you get the the whatever, like a performance of the night bonus, like the fifty thousand. That you won't get until that's like three weeks to a month ish because it's based off of whether or not you passed your drug tests. Okay. So they don't send it to you until you clear all that because if you don't pass it, you don't get anything. Um, the I mean, you get paid immediately though. They wire it to you like that Monday or whatever it is. Uh, but the the performance bonus comes a little bit later, and then around the same time, like generally speaking. I'm pretty sure everybody gets like a like I'm I don't think I've ever had a fight where I didn't get some kind of locker room bonus. But again, that's all it's not because they're like trying to stiff you or anything, but they're just making sure that everybody passes their uh, drug test before they hand out those bonuses. EB wants to know how hurt were you versus Murdov? Uh I've definitely been hurt worse, but you know, I definitely got cracked with a good enough shot that uh I kind of saw double for a second, so it's like it's never good to like eat a flush right hand from a guy who's really good at knocking people out. But uh, obviously, it was uh, wasn't enough to stop me. Nick says, "Does GM three feel like he's fallen in love with his hands too much?" I interesting. I never thought that myself at all. Um, I, I don't. No, I don't. I don't think so. I mean, I've uh, definitely made a point to like take everything to the ground and strangle people. So right. <laughs> I think if anything, I could fall in love with my hands a little bit more, but uh, uh, I'll definitely uh, think about that. Thank you, Nick Alexander. I will say this, that fight with Eric, uh, your boy, Anders, I did notice, yeah. uh, I did notice an improvement in the boxing in that fight. Um, I don't know if you agree. Yeah. I, well, I don't know. A lot of people thought I won that. It definitely were a couple, couple spots in there. I could have made some different decisions to really like, shore it up for me but yeah people act like i can't strike and then like like you said i went all three rounds on the feet with eric anders and 
I choked Murdoff, but I also did it because I beat him up on the feet first. Like, I, I know I have the most submissions, but I'm a, a complete fighter. Andy says, which loss does GM3 want to run back, Hamzat or Holland, and what would you do different? Uh, I would I would like to do the Hamzat fight again. And, uh, I mean, other than get a normal training camp in, um, you know, I think I would just approach it different mentally and all that good stuff. And, like, I've said before, like, that just left a bad taste in my mouth because, like, nothing got to happen. Like, if you, you know – if we fought and I really got ragdolled like that, or if he beat me up and be like, okay, whatever, you're better. Like, you know, nothing I can do about it right now, but I feel like the circumstances and everything, like, you know, obviously I can't say it's a fluke based off his other performances. Right. Cause like the, the kid's a beast, but that's definitely one I'd like to run back at some point. If it's, if it's ever a real possibility, I'm not going to be like, Oh, I want to fight him again just cause I lost. Cause that, it's not how this business works. It doesn't really make sense. You know what I mean? So, but if there was a time and point that it made sense, uh, I'd be all about it. Now, let me ask you this on that topic. Cause it's like, listen, I'm not a fighter, so I, I can just try to put myself in your shoes, but I don't know what it's like. I'm only, you know, a dude that trains jujitsu. Um, so like, I'd imagine like, you know, when you're in fight camp and you know, all the, the scenarios go through your head, it's got to be the worst case scenario is getting caught by the first punch. Like that's like the one thing you don't want to happen and it happened. And guess what? You go on to break records. And so it's like, um, is it really like once that happened, is it really that bad? I mean, all the people like in your life still love you. Like your family is still there for you. Like, so like how bad is it truly? Cause I remember Randy Couture talking about that where it's like something that kind of relieved his anxiety was that like, no matter what happens, like all the people that matter in my life are still going to love me. So, Oh yeah. No, when I say it leaves a bad taste in my mouth, I just mean like from an athletic competitive sense, because oh, even when, yeah. Cause even when it happened, like, uh, well, that's the other thing too. It was, it was such, uh, a, in such a public way. And like, it was a pretty decently hyped up fight at the time. So, like, it wasn't like it just happened and then I could forget about it. Then it's like I get comments and messages and all, <laughs> all this other stuff, which is, uh, you know, that's always a real treat. I'd actually do it. There were some, man, there were some really good uh, burns on me that I, I actually did enjoy because I'm like, I'm all for it if it's funny. I just don't like it when, like, people would, like, tag me and just put the wolf face. I'm like, come on, like, put some thought into it, right? But, uh, yeah, no, I was never really concerned about, like, my life changing, per se. It was just more like, man, it sucks that I didn't get to actually perform and see, you know what I mean? Because if he's supposed to be one of the best guys out there, I want to test myself against the best guys out there. That's why I'm doing this, because I'm really freaking competitive. It's not because, I, you know, I mean, I shouldn't say that. Part of me is, like, put me on the Sean O'Malley plan where I can just beat up a bunch of, like, debuters and get a bunch of money. But then, like, the bigger part of me, like, I want to fight the best guys in the world. So, you know, it's kind of a juxtaposition. But that's why I would want that rematch. Got you. Man Cave says, is Gerald 420 friendly? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Not like a ton, but, like, yeah, I'm definitely not uh, against it. Now, Jimmy wants to know, is there any fight Gerald would consider his dream fight in terms of opponent? Like someone you've always wanted to fight? Maybe a Damian Maya, even though he's retired just because of the styles? That well, yeah, that would be pretty cool because there's like a lot of parts of my game that I for sure stole from Damian Maya. So that'd be like <laughs> that'd be really cool. But uh 
Yeah, no, I mean, it's pretty much whoever has the belt. Like, it's a lot less about who I'm – for me, it's a lot less about the other guy, and it's more about me and achieving what I want to achieve. But, uh, you know, other than my cheesy motivational speech answer, I mean, fighting any of the guys that got a lot of the shine is always good. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Jonathan says, what's your favorite UFC win? Uh, my favorite UFC win. Probably the one knockout I got. <laughs> probably my favorite. That, that yeah, that one, that one or the Murdoch one are like my favorites. Yeah, uh, man, the the sound of that body kick uh, is something I'll never forget. Um, so yeah, we look forward to many more of those, dude. I really appreciate you being gracious with your time. I'll give you two more questions. We'll get you out of here. I really appreciate you, man. MMA locker room says. I'm only here to ask GM3, did he know? Oh, he this dude this dude comments on all my shit because I'm from Atlanta and uh, the Braves won the World Series. So he's always commenting. I'm just here to remind you that the Braves won the, the uh, World Series. So I do appreciate oh. that. But do you have a favorite baseball team? Is it the Milwaukee Brewers by chance? Oh, of course it's the Milwaukee Brewers. And uh, I don't know if he knows, but the Milwaukee Bucks actually won the NBA championship last year. But, hey, you know, that's cool. You guys got baseball. That's fine. You know, whatever. We just got the NBA. It's, it's all good. Yeah, yeah. Um, and do you have any opinion on, on the betting side of things? Do you like stay away from that? Do you not give a fuck? Like, what's the what's the deal with like players betting or like me just betting in general? No, like when people tell you that they want money off you and and stuff like that. Oh man, <laughs> I honestly, I like, I don't care at all. And I have had. I've had messages both ways where they're like, hey, man, you won me so much. I'm like, hey, that's great. And then some guy was like, uh, well, there's been a few people. I don't know any of them, but they're like, oh, man, I lost so much on you. And I'm like, bet I lost more. Lost half my paycheck, actually. So pretty sure you didn't lose as much as I did, buddy. Like if anybody's hurting, it's me. Yeah. And I wanted to say something on the topic of the people like trolling you about the, that Hamza thing. Because, um, listen. You can go on a 10 fight win streak. You can go on a 15 fight win streak, and people are still going to fucking bring that up. Like, uh, like Bilal's top five in the world now. He still has to hear about like the one time he got stopped and, and all this shit. So it's like, no matter what happens, people are still going to do that. But like, I also oh. know those same people, they run into you at a UFC event. They're going to ask you for that selfie. They're going to ask you for that autograph. They're going to act like your biggest fan. And it's always that motherfucker with the uh, fake avatars. Never a picture of them that are talking shit. It's always, yeah. you know, the uh, the empty profile pic. So, I'm, I like, I know we're human beings. I know, like, you know, we try not to be too sensitive, but we're still humans. And, you know, stuff like that hurts. But does it at least give you solace knowing that, like, dude, like, no one that's doing better than you, unless, you know, it's another fighter that's, you know, and it's pre-fight talk, that's a different story. But no one that's truly doing better than you is going to talk shit to you in that sense at all. Uh, honestly, man, I well, a couple of things. One, I'm from, like, the, the sticks and stones era. So, like, if I don't like something I read on the internet, especially from someone I don't know, I just turn my phone off. from <laughs> <laughs> For me, it's not that big of a deal. Like I said, like I can read something somebody says and like some of the stuff is funny. So I'm like, that's hilarious. Like, that's awesome. Even if it's about me. Well, especially if it's about me, I think it's hilarious. But uh, yeah, so it's like I just don't care. Like, I, I, don't, I don't know. I couldn't tell you exactly why. I'm sure like, you know, my personality, and my upbringing have something to do with it. But like, I, I really just 
genuinely do not care. And I also understand it's part of it. But on the same hand, to your point, like the guys, you know, they'd be the same people to walk up and ask for a selfie. I say kill them with kindness. Like I'm not going to, I'm not going to attach those feelings to any actual person because for a lot of people, how they interact uh, on a social media platform or online in general is not really who they are. And they've gotten like stuck in this rut of like, this is make believe land, you know, even though some people kind of take it seriously. So, you know, I'd still be nice to him and be like, Oh, you're uh, you know, 420 stink monster 69. You told me I was like, a huge piece of, <laughs> you, know, yeah. you told me I was a huge piece of shit and my, my, I should kill myself. Like, Oh, that's fine, man. We can take a selfie. Like I literally do not care. And I think that will go much long farther in like changing somebody's perspective than like getting upset about it. Hey, uh, there's so many fucking questions and guys, I truly appreciate y'all asking these questions. Um, We'll get to them later. And Gerald, truly appreciate your time. Your last question from Eddie. What's your go-to drink at the bar? Go-to drink at the bar. Uh, I'd say a, a good Wisconsin-style old-fashioned. Not what the rest of you weirdos in the country think an old-fashioned is, but a, a for real, 100% genuine Wisconsin old-fashioned. Hey, pardon my ignorance, because you know I'm from the South, so you got to educate me on what that is. So, like, everywhere else you go, old-fashioned is, like, uh, you know, it's, like, whiskey and bitters with, like, an orange peel. So, an actual old-fashioned, you know, you choose your whiskey or your brandy. Uh, I like to go whiskey. And then you have a sugar cube in there. You have your maraschino cherry, uh, maybe a slice of lime or something. And then you add in maybe a, a not not even a touch of simple syrup if you want to, but usually then it's just a whiskey. And then you have a little bit of fresca or some kind of, like, cheap seven up type beverage with that and that makes a very beautiful old fashioned well if you're ever in atlanta and you're on fight camp drinks on me gerald i truly appreciate you appreciate taking the time to speak with me right here right now on half the battle hopefully we don't gotta wait uh, over half a decade to get you back on here man it's been an absolute <laughs> pleasure the fans can follow you at the underscore real underscore gm3 um gerald truly appreciate it any message for the fans before we get out of here no, nah, no. Nah. Uh, be excellent to each other. <laughs> yes, I like this advice. Gerald, best of luck in camp. Best of luck in the fight, the cut, everything. Truly appreciate the time, man, and uh, take care, brother. Appreciate you, Dan. Thank you. Yes, sir. You got it, buddy. Take care, man. So, guys, that was Gerald GM3 Mearshart. What a fucking awesome dude. Everybody do me a huge favor. Smash that like button. Hit that subscribe button. Make sure you all follow Gerald. And uh, I will be back on Thursday to break down the fights. Uh, UFC London's coming up. I got a very special guest, Ben the Ben, Ben the Bane Davis. He's fucking hilarious Twitter personality. I think we're going to put on a real entertaining show for y'all Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern time. Um, and again, guys, follow GM3. Hit that again. Hit that like button. Hit that subscribe button. And uh, guys, uh, we'll be back next week. I got another exciting guest planned. And uh Thank you all for being here, man. This was a lot of fun, so we truly appreciate it. And until the next time, let's cash these bets.